Mate, this is going to be awesome. It's not stayed to come there off this hill. Hit him, hit him. It's more than just a hobby, it's who we are. Cracker. That's why we hunt. Welcome to the Educated Hunter Podcast. Greetings everyone, Matt here. Got some good news. Kieran and I are looking to increase the frequency of our podcast. So jumping from twice a month to once a week, which is great news for you guys. We are looking to increase our reach, which is good for New Zealand hunting because the more people who listen to our podcast, the more our message and the knowledge, collective knowledge of those that we interview gets propagated throughout the New Zealand hunting community. And we're also looking to increase the quality of what we do. So what that means is getting out, interviewing more people, different people, a wider range of people, and hopefully at a higher level. Me and Curran might have to brush up our interviewing technique. will also result in a higher quality podcast for you guys, our audience. In order to do this, we're going to need a little bit of a capital injection, to be fair. So we've decided to go out and look for partners, other businesses that want to tell their story, advertise their business or their product within the New Zealand hunting industry, but also grow with us as a community as we increase that reach and increase that listenership. So if you're a New Zealand hunting-based business or any kind of business that aligns with our audience, give us a yell. It's a tricky thing these days getting your name, business and ideas in front of people. We have to compete pretty hard to grab people's attention. We get bombarded with ads these days on Facebook, Instagram, magazines, everywhere we look there's another advertisement so it gets harder and harder to really break through and get your name and product out there. Podcasting and long form audio allows you to tell your business's story. You'll be able to allow our audience to understand what makes you tick, what products you sell, what your core values are as a business and that sets a really great foundation for creating lifelong customers. If that sounds like something you might be interested in, give us a yell on theeducatedhunter at gmail.com or flick us a message on Instagram. Uh, If you're listening and you can think of a business that might be good for us, uh, open to suggestions. And if you're just one of our listeners and you want to help out, the best thing you guys can do is recommend us to your mates, get other people listening to the podcast. There should be something in there for everyone these days. We've got a great back catalogue now. Or jump on whatever platform you listen to this podcast on, be it Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, whatever you might be listening on, and just leave us a review. That really helps out as well. It means it pushes our podcast up the list when people are searching for things within hunting. Really appreciate it, guys. Thanks very much, and enjoy the podcast. Today's podcast is with Remy Warren. So Remy, uh, for most of our listeners, will be the solo hunter, so the guy that um, starred in that show, obviously as the name suggests, he filmed his own hunting television show, uh, both with a rifle and a bow, so that's where it starts getting challenging obviously. Now Remy is also Apex Predator, uh, another television show, and he has it alongside other shows or in other brands, so he's done some work with Seiko, he's done some work with Under Armour, um, he's done some work with the Meat Eater franchise. He has his own podcast called Cutting the Distance, which is a really good, uh, I would consider it an educational podcast, particularly for the Western American hunters. You know, there's learning in there for everybody. And we essentially just have a really cool chat about hunting, hunting around the world, uh, hunting in New Zealand, because Remy really enjoys New Zealand, enjoys the hunters, enjoys the species we have to offer. And, and really, we just cover off being a hunter for his entire life. He started outfitting at 18 and, and basically hasn't stopped since then so really cool chat i learned a lot it was it was cool to touch on a few subjects around i guess specifics and what he does in the american model and uh yeah it was, it was cool you guys will enjoy it remy it's good to have you man good to have you on the podcast yeah it's good i know we've talked about it for a little while and uh it's actually good that we connected and it, it only took a pandemic and to be like a million <laughs> miles away for it to happen yeah 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 versus the alternative which was essentially to catch up and and have a coffee or a beer and chat on the mic (laughs) 
Yeah, exactly. But, uh, <laughs> maybe next, maybe next year or whenever it is that crosses that path. Yeah, definitely. I'm just, you know, who knows when it opens up again, but, um, I'll try to be on the first boat over him is my guess. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, well, I don't know the, the talk at the moment is that we may open up to Australia for a while. Yeah. I don't know. We, we get to see that. You get to see where we go with that. So yeah, it's, it's a different time for sure. Yeah. I, I mean, nobody's really experienced anything quite like it. Uh, or maybe some people have, but they're pretty old. So, um, you know, definitely a new, new struggle for our generation, but, uh, yeah, we'll all get through it. You know, everyone yeah. makes a few little sacrifices here and there and it should be, should work itself out. Yeah, yeah I believe so. It's, uh, it's, um, you know, we've gone about doing what we do here in New Zealand and we only see, I guess, what's happening in America and vice versa, what, you know, from the news, but how, how is it over there? I, I mean, honestly, like, yeah, I don't know. It's not really bad where I'm at. Um, you know, like hospitals aren't really full or anything, you know, I just kind of stopped watching the news cause I just got sick of like hearing all the, all the stuff and you're like, well, I'm, we aren't really seeing it where we are. So mm-hmm. who knows? Um, you know, I mean like it's just, you know, it's the same. We just hear what's going on on the news or whatever. And you just kind of do our part and stay away from people and, which isn't hard for me to do. So like me and my wife were like, yeah, nothing's really changed for us to be honest. <laughs> we just aren't traveling as many places. <laughs> like we're like, okay, yeah, we're, we're just by ourselves. Like, up, like we kind of live up, uh, up a hill kind of by ourselves. And it's like, okay, sweet. Um, I've actually been able to catch up on like a little bit of the, all the crazy office style. I call it office work, but just like, writing and all that other stuff that I've been meaning to do for a long time. So that's, uh, you know, a little bit of a silver lining, um, you know. You know, another silver lining too is probably people actually, through having to, starting to appreciate some more simple things in life, which maybe as hunters we probably, or outdoors people, you know, already probably held a little bit of that. But, you know, the amount of people I see now walking with their children and their dogs or biking and, um, just interacting, uh, you know, I think that's a, a massive silver lining in in the way we've dealt with it here in New Zealand, at least. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I know people here are like freaking out, um, because you know, the news has been talking about it running through some of the meat packing industries here. Yep. So there's going to be like a shortage of pork and a shortage of possibly beef and chicken. And, you know, people are like freaking out and I've had more people, like reaching out, thinking of like alternative ways to get meat, you know, <laughs> They're like, Oh, these hunters. I'm like, yeah, I have gotten no, I, well, actually I don't think I've got a meat shortage. I've got three freezers that I kind of, we just rotate through and, and yeah. eat throughout the year, but, um, it's nice to feel secure and being, Hey, I've got plenty of meat. I'm not really reliant on the meat packing industry or whether the grocery store has got my favorite things or not. Like we've, we've, we're pretty self-sufficient. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. Remy, where, where did where did hunting start for you? Oh, I mean, I've been hunting ever since I can remember. It was like I just grew up in it. Um, I I think like I actually was going through some stuff the other day, and there's like a picture of me as a I I don't even know if I was one years old yet, like sitting on some hay in a in a backcountry wall tent with my parents. Mm. Um, I think it was just like always always did it. Like my dad, even as a baby, would have me in his backpack just hiking around or going fishing or doing whatever. So I don't even remember a time where I wasn't into it. Um, it was just like something that I kind of grew up in. Yeah. So, so you'd, you'd denote from that, that your parents were sort of your mentors initially at least. Yep, definitely. Yeah. My dad, uh, my dad, you know, he liked to hunt. And then as I got older and really got into it, I think he got into it even more. Um, Mm -hmm. I think for him, it was always something that he liked to do. And it was more of like a, a hobby. And then for me, it was just like life. I just had to be doing it all the time. Um, and, and I think as it became that for me, then it became that for him too. Like we kind of pushed each other and, uh, like at least growing up, that was, it gave him an excuse to get out of the house. He'd be like, Oh, I'm taking Remy hunting. And then I would, you know, and so it was just kind of like a good excuse for both of us to, to spend some time together and get to do something. Yeah. That's cool, man. I think, I think when I look back at my childhood, my upbringing, I, same basis, but I think I went about the other way, and I think I become that obsessive that I actually drove my father away from hunting. <laughs> oh, s- 
Sorry, hold on. That's right. Dude, that that scared. Me. I'm gonna try to put my phone on do not disturb. Speaking of my dad, that was actually him calling. So he's like, he must have felt like I was talking. Yeah, about yeah him. he is that's a hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's funny. How did um? I guess so. You know, your origination is just a recreational hunter that enjoys the outdoors. How did you? I guess, find the direction and, and head down the television route? Um, I mean, it was something that I always loved. Uh, growing up, it was like I would watch these, I would get like these VHS tapes of like hunting stuff that you could buy at like a sporting goods store. And then we had like, there's a few people that started making DVDs when those came out. And um, I was just obsessed with like hunting to the fullest level any magazine i could get my hands on i would read any any book that involved hunting anything and i those videos were just like it was something i looked forward to like when a new video would come out me and my friend like i would just we would just like watch that thing over and over and over and i thought this is the coolest thing like i'd love to do that i also really loved like filming everything um I started filming everything is like kind of hand in hand with hunting. Got a, got an old recorder and we just like film, um, pretty much everything I did with no real intention of anything other than just like personal use. But I always had the dream that, Oh man, this would be cool to make hunting a living. And whether it's like film, like TV or whatever, um, Mm -hmm. that was just kind of always like in the back of my mind as a goal to have, and it, it kind of transformed for me. I, I kind of got into it a few ways because I started guiding like pretty much when I was 18. And, um, and then I also had my cameras and my filming equipment and I would just film like every client, every hunt. Um, I was out hunting pretty much most of the year. And so I was also filming at the same time. And I just thought that like, I just kind of filmed stuff like I like I had a purpose for it. Like I was gonna yep. make a TV show out of it one day, and um, and then like the opportunity came around where I had enough content, um, and this guy Tim Burnett, who does the Solo Hunter show, um, like had started the show just kind of randomly because he was he was actually making another show, and they backed out of like a deal, and he kind of got left holding the the pieces of it. And he's like, oh shit, how am I gonna make a TV show I've got no money and nothing and and not enough content and I just have these things that I've filmed myself because I don't have a camera guy he's like oh, I'll just make a solo hunter show and fill that space but he didn't have enough stuff and so he kind of like put this thing out there and I contacted him and was like hey I actually have been filming like myself hunting for years and I had like thousands of hours of videos essentially enough for like three seasons worth of tv and he's like, really? Uh, that's cool. And it, he just so happened to live like five miles away from me. <laughs> so it was just like a crazy kind of coincidence where yeah. I, I kind of planned for it my whole life, just did it like I was going to do it and with no real plan of it. And then things hmm. kind of fell into place. Was Apex Predator before Solo Hunter? Uh, no, it was actually after. Was it? Oh, was it? Okay, because that's, I guess, sort of how yeah. it, I picked it up here. But from the Solo Hunter stuff, like the way – from where it was aired and, you know, we started seeing it in New Zealand and we're, we're always a little wee way behind. Yeah. But it, it seemed to be like the catalyst for so many guys to start filming their recreational hunting and appreciating appreciating the journey, if you like, versus just the kill. Yeah, I think, like, that's the one thing that I always wanted to show is I thought was missing, mm-hmm. um, especially, like, American hunting television. I just thought, like, as a guide, I'd guided some of the, these guys on these TV shows, and it was I just thought it was, like, a joke. Yep. And then just the way that they did it, like, the, it just, like, it, it didn't speak to me as, like, my style of hunting or what hunting was to me. Mm-hmm. It was just, like, go out, shoot something, and there was no struggle in it. There was no adventure in it. It was just, like, it was just a, it wasn't really, like, what hunting was to me. Yeah. Um, and so I thought, well, man, it would be cool to show, like, I feel like I'm not the only person out there that like goes through tough days that like has to hike your ass off to even find something or maybe you, you get in on something something. with your bow (laughs) and miss or not find something like that's just hunting. That's all part of the whole reason. Like if it was like those other TV shows where it's just like walk out, shoot something, I'd be like, that's just like farming. I'm not really into that. Um, I want it to be like a good hunt and a, and a cool, maybe something new, see something new, do something different. Like, uh, just 
just have a good hunt and really portray like what it what most of the people that live we call it like western hunting because in the u.s you've got like the west side and then the eastern u.s and like from the majority of the state or the majority of the country like it's the stand hunt for whitetails which is cool but where i'm at like that's not it at all we've got like big wilderness areas it's just like it's more you know the same style of hunting you guys do yeah and so the difference between the two is so different but no at the time nobody was showing our the kind of hunting that i did like there just was nobody that spoke to that i was like and that was only 10 or 11 years ago yeah but um, it's come a long way it's cool to kind of like yeah when we first started it that you know we were told like in america they were like this will never be a show people will not like this there's no white tails Hmm. and we are not this isn't good and we're like well yeah but there's there are people out there that are not (laughs) this is their style of hunting and we, and it took us a while to convince people. And now it's weird to see like, at least over here, most of the, like what I would call the industry of that filming and hunting and stuff has kind of shifted toward like what we're doing, which is cool to see, like to be kind of on the forefront of that. It's kind of neat. Yeah, for sure, man. And like, I see like, I guess not what I see, but like when you, you create the content pre it being a show and it was sort of just for Remy at that point, once it become a show, yep. Did the the internal pressure to to to, to do it successfully? If you if, you know what I mean, like because it's a tough it's a tough job to self film your hunt uh, and then to know that you're doing it because it's now a show and because it's now airing. Did that change it for you? Did that become harder? No, not really, because I just was doing. I I mean, I never really changed what I was doing. My like, um, you know, I mean, I had like a little bit better equipment and um just like a little bit more like know-how like as I got better at focusing in on the self-filming I got better at capturing it and to me like the the hunt now became a part of like actually the the struggle to like capture it became just as exciting to me as the hunt because there was one hunt I went on early on and I was like stalking a good deer and and then I knew I couldn't get it on film, but I kind of like left the camera behind and then shot the deer. And I was like, that was way too easy. And I have nothing to show for it. And Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm not going to do that again. I liked, I kind of felt like I cheated myself out of the challenge of trying to film it. And so I I really, I kind of like learned to enjoy the process of it where that was as much going out was like the excitement of getting to film it and trying to like make something cool and creative was just as exciting but I also, in the back of my mind, always tried to, I never really put pressure on myself because I thought, well, I can capture all the stuff that I think is cool. And if nobody else likes it, I really don't, I don't give a rip. Like it's not, Yeah. I was like, I'm still just filming these things for myself and I'm just sharing it with more people now. Like it wasn't never, never for me. It was not like um, something that I had to do. It was just something that I, I liked to do. Well, I'm glad you did it, man. Cause it's cool. Yeah. Thanks. I think I like, and, and like you sort of touched on, I guess the, I guess the the hunt television show, um, they've all sort of adapted at least a version of um, that sort of hunting. But there was a need for it because it was the only like it was authentic, and that's like I started with. That was the most important part to it. Like I remember the one episode on the uh, fallow deer here in New Zealand, yeah, purely because it interests me. But the repetitive failure on you know the big bark and you know it was just good to see that it just wasn't clockwork. Yeah. You know. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and sometimes it works out easy but it for me especially when i'm trying to film myself never it, it's like you every hunt turns into a hunt because you've got so many things going on but it's fun to show i mean that i think that that's what relates to to most hunters is like that's that's what hunting is that's real mm. and i like to share share that and show that which is is mm. fun mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now you've now you've done some um i guess other shows or short um short video type thing is it easier with a film crew or without now for you uh honestly for me now it's easier without it um i think because i've like i've i've done it more that way like i've got into a cadence of uh just like knowing knowing what i can do and what i can get away with when stalking but um i you know like it depends too and i'm not used to having somebody with me so mm-hmm. when I first started doing some things, films, like I did one, uh, an Under Armour hunt uh, or a film for un- uh, Under Armour. It's like a hunt clothing company. 
I think you guys yep. have some of yep. that. Yep, we have now. Under Armour. Um, yeah. yep. They, um, you know, it was like they sent like this film crew that was not used to my style of hunting, and we went on this moose hunt in Alaska. And well, first we went on a hunt uh, around where I hunt in Montana, and then we did like a hunt in Alaska. And like the guys, some of them just weren't really prepared for that type of hunt. Like they, I think they'd done something similar, but maybe not to that extent. Mm. And so for me, it was almost like it was one, like I was guiding and two, it just made the hunt really difficult for me because I wasn't used to it. Um, but now I've done more stuff recently where it's like the guy filming is a very capable, like just having somebody that's super capable with my style of hunting that's really fit. Yep. That is like sneaky and a bow hunter, whether I'm bow hunting or rifle hunting, it doesn't matter. Like having somebody that knows how to get close to animals and like not put the camera up at the wrong time and do all that stuff. Cause that's all stuff I've learned along the way. And I, you know, mm. I, I know firsthand the filming aspect and the hunting part. So to have somebody with me like that, if it's somebody like that, it's, it, I wouldn't say it's harder or easier. It's like, it's good. Mm. Um, but I still, feel like sometimes when I'm by myself, I just get like, I kind of get in my own zone and I, it feels more comfortable for me. Yeah. I can imagine that. So, so based on where you're at now, I guess career wise, um, and the fact, you know, you've been through recreational, you've, you've been an outfitter, you've been on television. Like, is there anybody in the industry that, that you look, look to, I guess, for, or follow for learning, for education, you know, out of admiration, anything like that? Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's like, you know, and I think it, at different stages of, you know, everything, there's people that, you know, you kind of, you look up to or like kind of get, um, uh, you know, maybe I, maybe not ideas from, but even just saying like, oh, I didn't even know that was possible. Um, mm. so I think starting out, one of the guys that I really like looked toward was, uh, Jim Shockey. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Yep. Um, but like in the States, yeah, he's my business partner filmed for him for seven years, I think. Oh yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I mean like, uh, you know, when I was growing up, like seeing that is like, I was like, oh man, how do I, I mean, I kind of think that I, my business model or like my business, my plan starting out was like, I'm going to do the Jim Shockey model, which was, <laughs> I'm going to be a guide. I'm going to start my own outfitting business and I'm going to film stuff. And like that seemed to work out, you know, cause I mean, how do you, if somebody's like, how do you become a guy that like hunts for a living? I'm like, I have absolutely no clue. I just know what I did. Yep. And um, and I kind of tried to build that model off of what he did. So I'm like, that was, I mean, maybe if I hadn't seen that or hadn't seen, then I don't know if I would have, maybe I would have gone the route, but maybe not the same way. I don't really know. Mm. Um, but that was like a huge inspiration to me um, because I think that, and I liked the fact that he liked to show some adventure and hunt different places and different species. And I thought that was pretty cool. Mm. Um, you know, so that that's probably one of the, more like influential people just not that somebody that i knew but just somebody that i kind of like looked up to from afar yep i thought that was pretty cool and you are you still you touched oh sorry oh go ahead no so you touched on bow hunting and or rifle do you still hunt with either form yeah i still hunt with both rifle and and bow i mostly bow hunt but um i've started i've started doing some more rifle hunts lately in the last few years and i like i like hunting with both i like hunting with anything i actually just picked up like a um like a old school musket (laughs) muzzle loader to hunt with percussion cap muzzle loader i'm gonna like make some round balls and maybe try hunting something this year with it Uh, (laughs) i just like i love to i just love to hunt there's nothing that i don't love to hunt with like if there's a season for it or an opportunity i love to do it i love i love chasing like waterfowl upland game birds um bow hunting rifle hunting muzzleloader it doesn't really matter i just like to hunt but i mean my true passion i love i love archery hunting i just says the challenge yeah. of it and like getting close to animals it's it's fun it's a growing um it's definitely a growing route here in new zealand like bow hunting's really started to take off and become more popular so it's it's again we're a little just a little bit behind you guys but it's certainly certainly growing i've i've got a bow and i'm in the early stages, <laughs> very early stages. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's fun. It's like, uh, the, the fact that it makes it is just like having to get so close. Mm. And, um, I don't know, it really, there's like a different, a new, like kind of can be an, a different excitement level to it. Um, but it depends, you know, you, I always thought like guys that from New Zealand would be some of the best bow hunters because most, most hunters there 
like try to get close with a rifle anyways most of your shots are probably within well some guys are shots are within bow range on a lot of species so it's like just adding that bow is just a is just another um just another just a different way of doing it but very similar to what you're already doing anyways yeah i think i think the one thing that that differs from our mentality and like we do hunt a lot and get close to shoot the rifle but i don't know if we're quite as specific in the detail at the time of kill or the intention time of kill do you know what i mean in terms of the exact yeah. shot placement we're a little bit more front quarter of the deer is good enough send it home type thing you know whereas that archery the the description and the and the necessity to be so much more accurate and to have to be comfortable with the, the animal moving and moving away from you that's that's sort of a little bit outside the New Zealand wheelhouse, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like there are going to be ones with a bow that get away. <laughs> yeah. You know, like we sure. we have that yeah. much hunting available to us that we've kind of attached the killing of an animal to hunting. And I know that's what that is, but in terms of that's the process. Whereas the bow, we have to add more thinking steps. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, which is cool, man. It's it's a cool way to go and it's a cool additional bit of education to to hunters. So I think it's good. So are you still outfitting Remy? Uh, yeah. Yep. I'm still guiding. Yep. Um, I still, still got my day job guiding, uh, mostly elk hunters, but, um, maybe do some bear hunts and some mule deer hunts and sheep and mountain goats and a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. Cool. And uh, have you been affected this year, obviously with COVID or, um, well, yes and no. I mean, I was planning, I normally do my bear hunts uh, after I go to New Zealand. Mm -hmm. Um, So I normally do all that stuff like in the end of May. So we're going to see because I already, all that stuff hasn't really been affected yet. Um, This is actually the first time because like I I like to go over and spend a a fair bit of time hunting over there, either New New Zealand and Australia. So I kind of go from like March, April, May every year. Mm -hmm. And, um, and this is the first year in I think eleven years that I've haven't been there. So uh, I've actually haven't been in springtime for almost a decade, over a decade. So I was like here, and I'm like, man, this is weird. The days are really long, and it's just like a weird. <laughs> I'm like, why does it seem so weird to me? I just couldn't figure it out. And then I, my wife's like, well, you haven't actually been in spring in like a long time. You've, I kind of go from winter to fall to like beginning of fall to late fall to just jumping into summer but then you're expecting it it's like yeah long days in summer great yeah um so yeah it's a little bit different but actually uh i I haven't this is probably the longest stint i've gone without hunting or traveling i think this is the longest i've actually been in my house since i've lived here for like three years i don't think i think that the time that i've spent here now is as long as i've been in this house in the last three years combined (laughs) so it's a little strange, like, but now I'm getting comfortable. I'm like, oh yeah, this is great. I'm actually, uh, went, I went out turkey hunting the other day, which is big in the U S but not where I'm from. Like nobody likes turkey hunting where I'm at, but, uh, cause there's always bigger, better stuff to chase. But, um, I went out turkey hunting. It's like a thing to do in the spring and it was actually pretty fun. And I'm like, yeah, now I get it. You know, you call them in. It's, there's nothing else really going on. This is sweet. Yeah. I've, I've worked with some guys, uh, up in North America and they they were big turkey hunters, and and the way they tried to describe it to me as a young Kiwi at the time that turkey hunting was comparative to elk hunting, I was just like, they, yeah, they've got to have something going wrong absolute. here. Like their elk hunting's either really shit, or it's not, I was just like, how does this happen? I definitely no, have learned to appreciate yeah. it a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, it's it, I mean, it's absolutely nothing like elk hunting because as an elk guide, like. We get that all the time, guys, on the first elk hunt. Oh, it's a lot like turkey hunting. I love turkey hunting. The only thing that's the same is the animals call. Like, they yeah. make a noise. But the, other than that, it's it's absolutely nothing. And it's so funny because um, guys, like, from New Zealand, Australia, will ask me questions about coming over here and elk hunting. And they're like, is it, it, is it very similar to hunting red deer? And I'm like, and they're, like, kind of, like, cautious about it, like, thinking it wouldn't be where these turkey hunters are just uh, assuming that turkey hunting is like, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, well, it's very similar to hunting red deer. Like elk and red deer can interbreed. 
and yet you guys don't assume that they're the same. And then these guys that are hardcore turkey hunters just assume that hunting turkeys is the same as hunting elk because they both make a noise. I'm like, no, hunting turkeys is like hunting chickens, you know? It's like the rooster <laughs> crows chickens. in the morning, the the hens, yeah, the hens cack, and then uh, the rooster comes in and checks it out. And if you got a, another rooster or a fake rooster out there, he's going to come in and try to fight it. That's turkey hunting, you know. So it's not, it's not like elk hunting, but yeah. <laughs> so, but so given that this is the longest period that you've spent confined to your house, like how how do you find? And this is a, a little bit more directed at you in terms of being a husband and and having loved ones. Like, how do you find juggling hunting and family life and, and being away? Oh, I mean, it, it's not so bad for me. Actually, my wife, like, travels a lot with me, too, so um, it's good. Like, in the fall, she she helps, like, run um, my hunting camps and stuff like that. So we still spend a lot of time together. And then the times that I am away, um, you know, like, she gets it. She understands. But I don't have kids yet. I think it might be a little bit different if you have kids. Mm. Um, but actually, this has been good for me of, like, a step of like, hey, there are things that I can do when I'm like, I don't, I mean, I guess I should say like, there's some years when I've hunted when I was single or whatever, hunted or guided or been out there like over three, I think the long, the longest amount of time I spent out in like the bush hunting was 323 days Jeez. in a year. And I'm like that, but that was like, I, I was clearly single and had nothing else going on. And, and I was just living like the obsessed. dream. I mean, I, I, I would just travel. Yeah. I mean, I traveled everywhere and just uh, one season to the next, I'd jump on a plane, like as soon as something ended and go to another country or another part of the world or another state or another whatever, and just made it year round, like yeah. whatever I could chase, um, you know, and then got guiding jobs in between and that, uh, you know, and, and having like done it that that much i still don't ever get burnt out on it so i'm just like fully obsessed with hunting <laughs> but, yeah that's that was um, actually this oh, sorry that was yeah. how i i was much the same like, up until i met my wife like traveling and hunting was all i ever did and uh, then it, I, I, when i look at my life now like then i met my wife and she was super supportive like when we first met i was still away for six months a year and you know, I, I was still living the best version of the dream. And now that I've got a young daughter, man, it it changed. I couldn't do it now. Uh, and I maybe I've said it before in other podcasts, but we went to uh, BC last year to do a sheep yeah. hunt, which we'll talk about later on. But um, And it was the first time I'd ever had, not a second thought, but thought more of the single engine planes the high altitudes, the grizzly bears. Like these things I'd never put any thought to before. Uh, it, it was definitely a real different emotion for me to, they didn't hold me back in any form, but just to know that they were there for the first time, that was, it was definitely something different. I can, I mean, I can definitely relate to that. And I, I think that, that it's still good. You know, it's like a, yeah. it's like a different part of life too. You know, it's like a, it's a, it's a cool part of life. I mean, I actually, um, uh, a couple of years ago, actually right after I got engaged, um, we actually just got like attacked by a brown bear. And, um, during that attack, I was just like, I, I kind of like felt guilty. Mm. Um, like, I'm like, okay, I'm not just responsible for myself here. Yep. Like there's, and I, I never felt like that before. And now actually when I go out and I go on, like, um, I went to Kyrgyzstan and it was kind of like set, kind of a similar feeling. I'm like, I'm leaving my wife at home to go to Kyrgyzstan for like yeah. and I'm like I better make like I, I'm responsible for some stuff at home I better make it out all right and like I the exact same kind of thoughts like um the that you talked about I definitely relate with that yeah well, and I think it's I think it's yeah like you say I think it's a really good moderator you know what I mean I think it's just getting older and yeah I, yeah just take on a bit more but um so what about Remy straight back to pure hunting stuff what's your favorite species to hunt Oh God, man! I love hunting a lot of things. I mean, uh, one of the things that uh, I really just enjoy hunting is like early season mule deer with a bow. Um, it's just very challenging. They're mule for something for some reason about mule deer. Maybe like growing up hunting them, um, they just like they I, they really get me excited, and I just know how difficult it is to get a good one. So I just like put a lot of value on that. Um, but I, I also really love sheep hunting. Like that's one, I mean, anytime I can go sheep hunting, I would, if I, if somebody said you can hunt one animal and like, you're going to get a tag and it doesn't really matter what, 
um, I would say uh, some kind of some form of sheep hunt. Just because, like, the country's so cool, and it's just, like, they're... So big. And when you walk up on one of those things, oh, it's like, there's just nothing that looks like them. I've got two of them mounted right here where I'm at in my living room. Cool. And, like, I look at them every day just with awe. Like, they're just, they're just cool animals. I mean, as a hunter, I think part of it, too, is just, like, I you love animals. Like, you love looking at different animals and horn configurations, antler configurations. Like, just sheep are just un unreal when you walk up on them um and then i i really love hunting tar too so that's like they're they're definitely at the top of my list so i would say mule deer tar and and sheep and they're all kind of like similar it's like that same kind of country that same kind of terrain there there's just something cool about where they live and and what they are yeah i mean tar just like i mean they look awesome they're they're awesome to chase um especially with a bow like it's it's it took me a while actually to shoot a tar with a bow um I thought it would be like super easy. And then it like, it took me a little while when I first started trying to get a good one with a bow. It was like, not, not the most easy of tasks. Yeah. No. Now I've kind of got them figured out a little bit better, but it took me a little while to figure out the best ways to do it. Yeah. Well, my hunt next week, uh, the guy I'm going with, he, um, he self films a lot of his stuff. So he's taking the bow and he's pushing me to take the bow, but, uh, I don't think I'm quite there yet. I might, it might, it might take the journey, but oh, yeah. we'll see. We'll see. I know one of the the first time I took the bow tar hunting, I like got up and I got in like just above the alpine, and there's this giant bull like in the monkey scrub kind of stuff, and I'm like, okay, and I watched him just disappear, and then I got in about where he was, and this big storm came in, and he just stood up, and I could not get a shot on him if i had a rifle it would have just been over and it was like a 13 and a half inch bull oh. and i'm like just freaking out i'm at 30 meters or less and i'm like i can't kill this thing and i was so pissed i literally just walked back to the truck put the bow in, got my rifle and went back up there <laughs> and i didn't find him again but i was like i was like damn it like i just couldn't commit after seeing that and having that happen and just working so hard and then getting it and that was like my first experience i was like i knew i should have taken the rifle damn it why didn't i take the rifle yeah. i was so pissed <laughs> <laughs> Mate, that's hunting, eh? I yeah, see, exactly. Um, it's made it fun. <laughs> I see. Uh, I see on your Instagram there that you're talking about uh, potentially, if it all comes together, a stone sheep. Yeah. Is that is that the next big one? That's yeah. That I mean, if it if it if it all if everything with this COVID stuff does not affect it, then yeah, that would be kind of my first hunt of our fall season, like the beginning of August in BC, yep. and that that would be. That's like something that that's one sheep that if I was to pick any sheep to hunt, <clears throat> it would be stone sheep. Yeah. Just, just they're so cool. But you know, for us to go to Canada and hunt's not super easy. So, um, you know, it's one of those things that I kind of always just had in the back of my mind and thought maybe one day I'll get to do it. And hopefully, if everything pans out right, I will. I'll get an opportunity to go this year. But awesome. um, who knows? Like that would that would really they're suck. So, man. They're so you're like, cool, man. Your whole life, you're like, yeah. Uh, I know. I, I'm just. I'm just excited. To just kind of. I've I've hunted a lot of other sheep species, but those ones have always just excited me. They're just so yeah. freaking cool. It's looking. such a. We um with the with the ultimate OE training we do here. You know, we try and describe to them how addictive sheep hunting is. And when you try and, well, use words like that in in, in a conversation with a, an 18 to 25 year old Kiwi guy, that he'll get addicted to sheep hunting. They sort of just look at you with a funny look, but it's. Yeah. You just you can't put it into words like uh it it's just drives me and I I've, you know even my good friends they know that that is my bucket list species and um like I say I had a go last year and was unsuccessful so I'm hoping 2021 will be my year. Awesome. Uh, mm. Yeah man that'd be cool. Yeah. We'll, we'll have to we'll keep each other posted. Yeah and, yeah yeah uh, I'm exactly. to get after and chase them. I'd love to hear how you do. <laughs> yeah well I'm hoping I kind of want to make it um you know, because part of the, I guess, the romance for the sheep for me is my time working as a guide for them. And obviously, at that point, I was an illegal alien, well, not an illegal alien, but in terms of hunting an illegal alien, so I couldn't harvest one or, or certainly didn't have the money to harvest one. Yeah. So I sort of have that attachment to the species and, you know, and I, I've sort of set myself some goals in the fact that, um, you know, I want to do it as a proper hunt. So... I would like 14 to 20 days, uh, and I want to cover a lot of country. You know, there's a, a big romance to it, and I hope it comes together. I mean, in part, having one failed trip 
has already started building that romance. You know, we did yeah. we did ten days, um, and we saw a lot of sheep and we saw a lot of rams, but um, rams we were sort of having to make legal, you know, and I couldn't look at one on my wall. Yeah, for the rest of my life as a as a right. bucket species, as in that pinnacle for me, and and know that it wasn't a no brainer. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah exactly. So, but it's tough. No, that makes sense. Yeah, it's sheep. Sheep are funny too because it's like one of those. It's probably one of the only animals I can think of where it's like people may guide them their whole life and like hunt them and and never get the chance to actually hunt one themselves like i i mean i don't know how many rocky mountain bighorn sheep hunts i've been on and and not ever drawn a tag for one or or been able to hunt them myself you know it's Mm. like but that's one of the reasons why i love guiding them is because like i actually get to go on the hunt so i've been on more sheep hunts than you know you, you would get to do on your own and that that's part of it too is just like that that allure of how rare the opportunity actually is to be able to get to do it yeah and i think there's there's know. all the little intricates on the species too, like you know, like so where I was working and and where I've hunted the sheep. Like to think that you could go days without seeing something shootable, or even longer, and then if you go ahead and make one mistake, that that may be your opportunity. You know, so many other species, you kind of through effort and potentially a little bit of luck, you sort of get other opportunities. I like with the yep. sheep and the sheep hunting I've done in the area I've done it you may very well literally only get the one chance. And something about that. Yeah. You know, like it's it's an addictive addition to hunting. Yeah. <laughs> it is for sure. <laughs> so Remy, your um your podcast Cutting the Distance, uh, it's one of the ones I listen to. Yeah. Um Oh awesome. The reason the reason I really like it is it's genuinely educational. And I don't mean like you can learn a lot from everybody's podcasts and so forth, but um, I don't take this the wrong way, but you're one of the few hunt celebrities that still reverts to real basic stuff. And I, I think that's a really important step because as, you know, as new hunters come on and, and people looking to learn, I think it's a really important step that um, some of the guys that have the television shows or whatever you sort of miss, I guess. Yeah. So, you know, so I guess on on behalf of all the people that find value in what you listen to, thank you for that. It's good. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I mean, I I feel like you know I I'm very fortunate to have spent the majority of my life. I've spent more days out hunting than I've spent not hunting, and so I don't know. I feel like it's it's kind of a cool thing to be able to share what I've learned with people that may be just getting into it, or people that um, you know maybe just don't get as much time to hunt or whatever. And I've noticed, like, oh, you, you've probably noticed it, too, while guiding or whatever. There's people that have hunted a long time, and yet some of the basic stuff just, like, they, they haven't grasped yet. And I think it's just because maybe nobody taught them that or they haven't spent enough time in those kind of scenarios. And then they get in an opportunity where they're doing a hunt that might need that kind of skill, and yet they're, they just, like, don't know. They just, they're, they're going to, like, not be as successful yeah, because the raw, they just the raw don't basics. Have that skill aren't there. Or they don't have that, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. And you know, like without drawing negative attention to it, you know, there's so many, there's so much opportunity now to to buy or pay for hunts on highly populated areas, be it either be it professionally guided or just recreational access. And then you can buy firearms capable of shooting long distances with really good optics. And there's there's so much. There's the ability just to buy off the shelf and and find yourself in an environment where you are hunting. And that's good. We need we need hunters to hunt. But I, I think back a couple of generations, like you literally had to learn to shoot birds with your slingshot. And you you had to learn all these basic primitive stalking skills, I, I guess. Um, and that's where you found yourself in the hunting industry. And I, I think that's probably what's missing now because it's not, especially here in New Zealand, like there's definitely a shift as the population becomes more urbanized, that upbringings aren't as raw as they used to be. And I think we miss that. Yeah. And then by the time you get to an age where you want to become a hunter, as with anything else in life, there's just easier routes to go about it. Not necessarily better, but yeah, easier. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. It's like, it. you know, if you, you know, I grew up in it. There's a lot, a lot of hunters grew up in it. But if you don't, there's so many people that want to do it. They just don't have that outlet or that 
way of understanding it and so many other things grabbed their attention. I'm surprised how many people, you know, reach out and like, yeah, I went hunting as a kid and I didn't really understand it or like it. It was just too much. And, and now they're looking back and going, man, I really wish I would have kept doing it, but I have nobody now to show me how. And, you know, mm. this kind of information helps me get into it. And that, I love hearing that because as a hunter, man, it's, it's so cool to take, take somebody out hunting for the first time and just see them love it. Like, like you love it. Um, mm. And I think like that's that's one of the things that's also going to kind of protect it from the future. It's, there's a lot of people that don't like hunting, don't understand yep. why we do it. And so if you can kind of get somebody on your side and say, oh, wow, this is actually pretty awesome. Um, it's just really going to help the longevity of what what we enjoy as well. And yeah. I, I would never want to see that go away for people. No, 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 definitely not. I mean, that's part of what's one of the basis of why we started Ultimate OEN, the Educated Hunter, was to try and ensure that we as hunters took on some responsibility of sharing hunting positively instead of just accepting it as our right to do because well you've spent enough time here in New Zealand yeah. we still believe that that's our right and nobody could take it away from us anyway but the reality is th- th- there's a little bit more influence coming from the other side so that that's why we started that but like we sort of I guess reference it as as trying to help educate the uninformed you know i find the anti-hunters are, are quite far one way but there's a massive population within that what i would call uninformed and they're, they're the ones that we can yeah. help educate and share experience with and and just open an understanding of i i don't i don't expect them all to become hunters but if in some part the majority of them could understand what it is that attracts me or you to hunting and the way we respect hunting, the way we respect animals, and the way we wish, you know, for only the good in so many things, then, then that's a positive for the hunting sector. Yeah, definitely. It's it's those are the people that make the decisions too. It's not the the people that are against hunting. And it's not the hunters that make the decisions. It's everybody in the middle, and it's their view of what they see and whether they think it's all right or not. Mm. Because those, you know, that's that's the majority of people. So you just have to get those people to understand when they kind of think about the issue critically thinking, well, why is it good? Why is it good for the environment? Is this a good way to source meat? Like why are these people hunting? What does it make sense? And if it makes sense to them, then it will continue. If it doesn't make sense to them and the other side's arguments do, then that's where you start to lose ground. And I think that that's, that's the key is like, you don't need, I mean, as a hunter, you know, you know, you don't want everybody hunting because it just wouldn't be sustainable that way. Um, but you need enough people to hunt that have uh, showed it in a good light that the people that make the decisions, the people in the middle, make an informed decision that kind of supports what you love to do. No, definitely. So on that, like I know the um, legal restrictions up in BC from my time up in there, but are you guys allowed, with the meat you harvest, are you allowed to donate that meat? Um, in the States? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you can. Mm. Um, you yeah, you can donate the meat. That's good. That's that's fairly common. I mean, it depends. You know, in areas where there's like really high white tail populations, really high whatever populations. Um, actually, like when we apply for our state licenses and other things, uh, there's a sort certain portion of those fees that actually go to help pay for processing oh, of cool. the meat. So you could actually to make it easier. So like, if I shot an extra got an extra doe tag or something and shot an extra doe that I wanted to donate. I could literally go to a meat processing place, drop it off, gutted, sometimes not even skinned. And they would really? pay and then they would get reimbursed the cost for the uh, processing. They would package it, vacuum seal it, freeze it. Um, you know, for the burger, they, they actually mix in uh, 10% beef fat and then that's all paid for. And really, it, that's good. Says the hunter, they just yeah. So that's like um, there are a lot of those, or, and there's organizations that help foot the bills and things like that um, to really help like get those donations out there, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's really cool. That's really cool. Um, so now, uh, one just another. This is I've just got a couple of things I wanted to talk to you about. Like you're now part of the meat eater brand. Oh, this this may be old news but in terms of a new zealand because again the meat meat eater brands only sort of something that's probably only a couple years old in terms of popularity in new zealand is that oh yeah is it 
Is that right? Are you part of Meat Eater? Or is that? Uh, no, no, I I'm not technically. I mean, I my podcast um, is through them though. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and do do you see? I guess where I'm going with this is the, I guess the joint effort of popular hunters, but not even they don't necessarily have to be popular. But in terms of um, I guess influences and stuff, do you see that as a as a strength going forward as well? You know to not not to push back against the anti-hunters or the uninformed, but to, I guess, to show some cohesiveness amongst the hunting fraternity and so forth. Is that is that a way of thinking? or? A... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Like, I mean, and, and I like to, um, I like to work with a lot of people that uh, have those, like, similar views, and, and it's just, just a bit, it, like, provides bigger platforms for everybody. Yeah. Um, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. So it's like, if you're a hunter and you kind of are able to partner up with other hunters that do the same thing and kind of work together with that same mentality. Like it's just going to be more successful message. It's going to be like a stronger um, reach and it's just going to like help your cause a lot more. Mm. I think it's like one of the, you know, like the, the whole meat eater thing has done so much for hunting that especially in the last, I I would say it's probably one of the leaders for where we're at of just like, informing people about hunting getting people um to to do hunting and so you know like it's a no-brainer for me to say yeah that's where i want a podcast that talks about hunting tactics to an audience that like is also like a mutually shared audience of people that might be looking for new like new information on hunting Mm. you know i think like my own audience is probably more like hardcore guys that love to hunt already hunt and you know, just want more tactics on the things that we already do. Yep. But there's uh, there's also a large audience of people that like just honestly have no clue where to even start. And those people, um, I think, are going to be the ones that benefit most from like that kind of interaction. And there's some of those people too. They just find I I like the thing that I find surprising is how many people reached out to me or reach out to me that just randomly like started watching solo hunters or started randomly following something on social media. And they're like, I don't hunt, never thought I would be into hunting. I see it. And I'm like, this makes sense. I want to do that. Mm. Like as a hunter, like that's the coolest, that's the coolest thing that you can hear because it's like the, okay, what they're understanding, what, what we're doing, what we're about. And that, that, that makes me happy. Well, especially, yeah, especially like when you're, uh, your message is so ethically strong. You know, it's such a good way for somebody to enter into the hunting world. Yeah, you know, and that, that's important. Yeah, I mean, that's you know, if yeah, to get to get people that understand it in the way that's going to be the most positive light for those people in the middle, and to get new people into that, um, those those are people that are going to kind of push push a, a positive image forward. Mm, yeah, no, no doubt. There is um, is there going to be some more of your I guess short film or video on the on the Seiko rifles that you built? Uh, yeah. Cool. So I was actually I was, oh man, I was, one of the things that got canceled. Um, I was going down to Argentina to hunt some red deer down there. I thought that was going to be I was pretty excited about that because I haven't hunted red deer down there and hunt them during the roar and in some like thicker terrain you know where you're calling them in real close and i was really excited about that trip and that unfortunately got canceled so we're kind of maybe planning a different trip and maybe do that next year and we're kind of looking at maybe some other stuff to hunt um maybe more locally um for that but i think those those were really fun to do they turned out i think they turned out really well and Mm. just like to be able to see some cool places some different stuff um, well, it was cool that even the, um, I, I guess from my point of view, and it's only one one point of view, but the again, the emotion side of it, going through the Seiko factory, which for somebody that's hunted their whole life, and there's oh, hundreds of brands, and I know that's a whole topic in itself, but Seiko is a fairly iconic brand, um, you know, around quality workmanship, and then so to go to that factory and then sort of, like you say, building your own rifle and then being able to use it like, that the emotion to that the attachment to that like it was a cool it was a cool journey just to watch so i can only imagine you know it felt pretty cool yourself yeah it was that was like the best part is uh you know having the opportunity to see that because you know you you've you see these rifles in the store or whatever and it's kind of like it 
you know it's a good product, but you don't know what goes into it. And then I can pick up that rifle and like know, like I can, I visually see all the faces of the people that have touched those guns that come out of that factory. Mm-hmm. And it's like they know what they're doing. Like they put the amount of effort that I, I, I like, I just wish that they could open that up of something similar for everyone to have that experience. Cause that was just one of the coolest experiences of like being able to see that, to like have some hands on action with that rifle and it just becomes like now you're like you're i get attached to rifles anyways but then to get so attached to a rifle it's like you kind of like watched it be born and then you're like there and and then go take it out in the field for what it's designed for and it's like it was it's just a really cool experience mm. um, to go through that and that's why i'm like i've got this uh bavarian stalker or um yeah that and uh and I'm like, that's the one I was taking red deer hunting. And it's just like sitting there looking so sad right now. I'm like, man, buddy, I know. I know, man. <laughs> I was like, we're, we were all, me and you, I was just dreaming of calling in stags and, and shouldering that rifle. And I was just like, yep. Yeah, I get it, man. It's just sitting there looking at me so sad. I'm actually <laughs> going to take it out this weekend and just do some more shooting because I just can't bear to see it sitting there. <laughs> yeah, it's going to feel the heat. They yeah, don't, exactly. They don't like being cold. No, no. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So I guess um, starting to close up, you've got the sheep hunt coming up, coming up is it? Well, potentially, but is there anything else big coming up in Remy's, Remy's world? Um, you know, I think that's, I, I just like over here for our fall season, um, just kind of apply for tags. Like that's a big part of hunting in the States is like, or Western U.S. is getting tagged. So I kind of got to see what I draw. I'm going to do that, and then I'll probably head up to Alaska for a caribou hunt um, at some point and then and then jump into my guiding in Montana and stuff. But until then, I don't know. I just kind of see if I can draw something cool or a, a tag that I haven't had before. And other than that, um, just kind of pick up random tags and try to hunt different places. So mm. we'll see what the COVID does and what kind of restrictions are lifted and – and that kind of is going to depend on the season, but I'll always find something to do. Yeah, it's actually a growing, um, a growing trend, I guess. Um, so there's a few Kiwis now that are, uh, you know, applying for over-the-counter tags and and doing elk hunts in the states. Yep. You know, and that's cool. It's cool to see. Yeah. It's, um, it's well, I, I'm not don't want to, don't take this the wrong way, but it's good to see Kiwis going abroad to do it because we sort of sat in our own little bubble and we were sort of offended by all the international people coming to New Zealand. Because <laughs> that's just a key, typical yeah, Kiwi nature. Exactly. <laughs> um, but it's good that we've actually kind of realised. Well, hey, it, it does work both ways, and, and guys now are starting to see, like you know, with an affordable flight and maybe a connection and putting a few things together, like you can go for an elk hunt every second year is the same sort of financial outlay as, as a fueling trip, you know. And I think that's yeah, awesome. definitely. And you can. Yeah, and I, I I know like I've had I have a lot of friends over there that have started doing it, and you know New Zealand and Australia, and and started coming over, and like we like we welcome people to come yeah. and hunt. Like we think it's cool. You you'd be surprised. I actually sent two of my friends from Australia to a, a a mule deer spot that I hunt. I was hoping to hunt with them, but I actually had a tag somewhere else, and um and they were like, yeah, they were they were just driving around. People would run into them, like, oh, where are you from? Oh, yeah. They're like, oh, yeah, let's. I'll show you how to get into. Like, you know, it goes both ways. And I've yeah. I've run into that same experience when I first started hunting New Zealand. People just being like, oh yeah, let me show you this. Let me, you know, and it's yeah. I I mean, like I would encourage you to come over here and hunt. There's some there's some incredible stuff. There's some awesome hunting. It is different, um, but I think too one of the one of the things that I I like people from other places coming and seeing is just like our model of conservation and the way that yep. we do things. Um, because it's really that, important, you know, it, it gives people ideas. Yeah. And it gives people ideas of like, man, why are we, why is our government, you know, using that money to do in these coals and other things when like you could, in many places you could use hunters and um, ways of, like hunters dollars and having like some areas that are really good for trophy quality and other areas that are really good for opportunity. And you can balance all that out in a really unique way. Yeah. I agree. um, Provides some pretty awesome opportunities. That's, that's, that's why we started ultimate OE. So we started that 10 years ago and we've seen over 350 guys to work as guides and assistant guides in North America. And that, that was that pure reason. So they go over there and, 
through necessity learn i guess a different conservation method a different um respect for hunting and utilization of all the meat because again here we don't have any need to be fussy on what it is we take or don't take um yeah so and and just to have that learnt skill set filter back within their social groups and now when i you know catch up with some of these guys that i sent years ago like the whole their whole thought process around hunting the way they do things the appreciation for it the amount of photos they take versus pulling the trigger or you know the effort they do to retrieve the whole carcass versus what they used to do like it's dramatically different it's so much better for hunting as a as a as a group as a collective group so i I 100% agree with your your idea on that and you know like we we got here that way because of hunter organizations it wasn't just like the government saying this is how you'll do it it was hunters that stepped up they created these organizations that the only reason we have some of the animals that we have now are because of hunter efforts back in the day to create rules to self-regulate to create like sets of ethics and other ways of doing it which makes sense here now like in new zealand everything is non-native and there's a completely different model but yeah. i think that there's something in that model that can be um can be very ben- like Adapted. it's actually might even be better yeah it could you know if, uh, still like being conservationists and hunters at the same time yeah no i agree i agree well remy i'll 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 leave it at that and say a massive thank you um, i know you've got things to carry on with but I appreciate yeah. your time, man. It was it was a cool chat, and there's a little bit of learning there, which is good, um, good for our listeners. So uh, thank you, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks. Next time we'll have to uh, chat over a beer somewhere in your neck of the woods. Yeah, no, it'll be really good. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll stay in touch anyway. And um, again, thank you, and I'll let you get back to it. G'day, thanks for listening to the Educated Hunter podcast. There are a number of ways you can connect with myself, Matthew Gibson, or my partner in crime, Curran Island at The Educated Hunter, and the hub for all of this is our website, theeducatedhunter.com. Our Instagram page is at theeducatedhunter. Our website also has a spot where you can sign up for our newsletter that comes once every two weeks and is full of relevant information about hunting in New Zealand and around the world. And lastly, you can search out any of the episodes that we've done in the past and find the show notes on that episode. Other than that, thanks very much for listening and I hope you're having a good day wherever you are and your next hunting adventure is not too far away.